So we're going through John and First John, and uh, so I'm going to give you a little history because what's happened is how many of you have started reading through First John? How many of you have started doing that? Just start doing that. And so what I'm going to do uh, is that uh, today I'm going to talk about the culture behind John, uh, what was going on, because then I'm going to show you why it's important that you know that so that when you read something, you'll understand why they... Uh, why he would write in such a way uh, to help us understand this. So, first of all, John, he's a disciple of Jesus, is believed to be the author uh, of the Gospel of John, as well as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And what happens is, you have to understand there are a lot of people have... John was called by different names. He was called John the Elder. He was, he was called John the Disciple, John the Apostle. Uh, he wrote the letter from Ephesus. And we know this because the church fathers uh, uh, had written about John. Now, you've got to remember, when he was writing John, he was... Remember an apostle, and I'll talk about that in just a few minutes, but he was writing from Ephesus, and he was trying to do two things. And if you're a note taker, you want to write this down in your Bible. I, always, I wrote it kind of right below where it says John, at the beginning where it says uh, John, and then I wrote this. There are two things that I believe John was doing, and one is he was protecting the church, and he was writing about that. I'm going to talk about that, about that protection. And two, he was pastoring the church. Some people argue whether this is an epistle. Now, an epistle, of course, is a letter or whether it's just a writing. It very strongly reads like uh, an epistle. Like he was writing a group of churches. And that's what he was writing to, a group of churches that met probably in homes or wherever they met. And he was trying to encourage them because there were some things going on that uh, were troubling. And what happens when he wrote this, re- reason we know about these church fathers. Now, when you hear the word church fathers, you need to pay attention to that. Because what we call the church fathers over the past year are those, pe- are those people who would fall under the category of, uh, of being discipled by the disciples. Does that make sense? So if I were to tell you, you'd say, well, where do you get some of this information? How do you know that John wrote it? How do you know that it was from Ephesus? Because the people that John discipled who are under him, help us out and understand that. So when you read the Bible, a lot of thought's gone into it, and a lot of history's been looked at. And our church history fathers, this is just a real quick, fun history thing, uh, is this. Jesus, remember, his ministry was about 33 AD. He had 12 disciples, and which they would call, they were also called apostles. And I'll, again, I'll explain that in just a few minutes. And the disciples, it was about 70 AD when John began to, to do all this writing. Now, what I want you to see is John had people under him who were disciples. They considered John an apostle. An apostle, some people say, are the people who actually were in touch with Jesus, who could reach out and touch him. It was the 12. And Paul considered himself uh, an apostle because he met Christ uh, on the road and Christ blinded him. And he said, now I'm an apostle. It's a very clear call. But what happens is John, are you all with me? It's nerdy, but it's fun. John had disciples and it's, his disciples were Polycarp, Irenaeus, and Hippo. And uh, you go, wow, Hippo. Yeah, we had a lot of fun in the seminary with that. But Polycarp, Irenaeus, and Hippo, they became uh, church fathers about, a, about 100 A.D., Paul, I mean, John was born about 6 A.D. is what they see, and he died right about 100 A.D., and when he died, he was probably 95 to 97 years old. But he had taught these these men, and he said, listen, then they became the church fathers. He said, listen, I've been with Christ. Here's what he wants us to understand about who he is. And so that's where we get a lot of our church history from the church fathers. Now, this may be boring to you, but, but that also tells us 
about where John wrote this letter. And all three of them talked about the fact that he was in Ephesus when he wrote it. So now you go, well, what is it? why is it important to know where he wrote it? Because now we know what city he was in. And, and that city had a lot of idolatry. It had a lot of temples in it. One of the largest ones, one considered the seventh wonder of the world, which was the temple to, uh, to Artemis. And Artemis was the, uh, the god of fertility, the god of childbearing, the god of animals. It was, just a, it was a huge temple in Ephesus. And uh, so when he wrote, it tells us what he was writing against. Now, Irenaeus, see Irenaeus in the middle? If you were to take this down, he had some disciples along with uh, Polycarp, which uh, those are actual names, and that was the one, ones below you. So Ignatius, uh, Justin Martyr, Clement of Alexander, and there's two Clements. You go, are they the same? No. There's a Clement of Alexander, there's a Clement of Rome. And so the reason I wanted to show you this is because we have the Bible, but we have things that these other guys have written that help us understand more about where John was writing from and what, we, what he was going through. And so we do know that it was written uh, between uh, 90 and 95 A.D. Uh, so when you read the scripture, when you read 1 John, I want you to open up your Bible now and turn to 1 John, all right? And I want you to open it. It doesn't matter which translation you have. And I want you to look at uh, that first uh, chapter, verse 1, and we're going to do something. I want you to count... Uh, just between First John uh, one uh, one through four uh, one through five, and tell me if somebody wants to try it real quick. Tell me how many we's we have right there. We w e. This is learning the word. We we. Anybody got it? That's good. I'm giving you time. That's good. Five. There's five. There's five we's, and there's one us. No, there's six, isn't there? Eight. Wait, well, you didn't go down to chapter five. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Seven, seven we's and one, uh, seven we's and an us. Did y'all find seven? Eight. Okay, there's different translations, so they're between six and eight. So what, we, what, what I want you to understand is that we, the reason that's important to you is when he said we, he was talking about the disciples. He was talking about the 12 disciples. He was, he was clear, and he wanted to do this for a reason. And that's why when you read it, it just flies over us. But to understand the Bible, you have to understand the culture. You have to understand what was, what, who it was written to. You have to understand what was going on behind everything uh, that he was talking about. So who are the we's? They are the disciples. Now, there are disciples and apostles. There's actually, for the past 10 years, been a big... And when you, may, you may have not known about it. I do, because I'm in the church world a lot. And I read these things about pastors and churches and denominations. And there's been this... Uh, uh, there's been this resurgence about apostles, that the church still has apostles. Well, for me, I struggle with that because I believe an apostle is exactly what the Greek word means. An apostle is a messenger. That's all it is. It's a messenger. So what we understand, a disciple is a student, a learner that is taught by a rabbi or a teacher. An apostle is sent to deliver the teachings to others. Apostle is defined in the Greek as a messenger who is sent. Some teach that are uh, some teach that all apostles are disciples, but not all disciples apostles. 
And so there's really been this little reward within the church. Uh, you know, different churches, not us. Uh, uh, I, I believe an apostle is just a, 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 a messenger. And a disciple is a learner. And then I believe that eventually, um, some believe that the apostles, the days of apostles, are gone. Uh, but Paul talks uh, about apostles in the Bible. Um, and you go, what do you believe? I believe an apostle is a messenger. How about that? Because what we want to do is say, well, an apostle is a messenger. And there are times, uh, uh, I, I, you know, people go, are you apostle? I, I never touched Jesus. I, I didn't, I never was with him physically, but I'll tell you, I am with him spiritually. And so that's an argument that doesn't get you into heaven. It doesn't stop you from going to heaven. So it's an, not an argument to me that's worth going into. If you want to call yourself an apostle, go for it. If you want to call yourself a disciple, go for it. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, most churches strongly believe that apostles were those who were in contact with Jesus. And now churches, you'll notice that some pastors are introduced as the apostle or whatever, even, even in modern today. And you go, well, is he an apostle? Is he an is he a, a, is he a, a, a apostle? Then I'll go, well, does he preach every Sunday? He's a messenger, so call him what you want. All I know is just call me Pat, okay? All right. And if you're a kid, some people say, what do kids call you? I don't want them calling you Pastor Pat's fine with me. The right reverend, right pastor, awesome Pat is fine with me too. I'm just kidding. All right, here we go. So uh, there were lots of things going on in Ephesus that you need to understand. And I want you to see this map because uh, this is modern. Uh, th- it was in modern day uh, Asia Minor, Turkey. And what I want you to see is this. I got my new little toy. I like it. Uh, is this area right here. What was happening is... Uh, this is Istanbul. We were Istanbul. We were in Istanbul, uh, Istanbul, uh, and that also used to be the old uh, town of Constantinople. So when you look at that, that's where it was. And what what was happening here? This landmass allowed in, uh, an influx of people from all over Crete and Greece and everything to come in here. It looks like it's a huge area, but it was well traveled. And you see uh, that Ephesus is right here. So what was happening? You had all these cultures moving in from that area. Plus, all these little areas, there's Patmos, that's where John uh, wrote Revelation, Uh, here's Athens. All this area, it was very doable to get across these little areas into this, uh, into what is uh, Turkey, Asia Minor. And what happened was, they brought in with them all these temples and all these gods, okay? And this this is what was going on at this time. They were tackling, so these churches that were meeting in homes were troubled that uh, uh, these people were moving in. And they were talking to them about their God. And you say, well, really, that's old news. That doesn't have anything to do with us. Drive down into Port Arthur. Drive over to Beaumont. And you'll see temples. Temples of Buddha. Temples of Islam. It's here. There used to be a day that we would have to go to the world. When I lived in Nashville... Uh, there was a huge group of people that lived across uh, from the church in an area that was pretty much all Kurdish. It was like God had said, I'm going to bring the Kurds to you, and they began ministering to the Kurds right there. And in this area, whether you want to admit it or not, now here's what we deal with. People say, well, they're just like us. True. Uh, uh, they, they, uh, we should treat them kindly. True. They're going to try to convert us. Some of them will. Some of them won't. 
Some of them will always be infidels. We can't be converted. If we are, we're never trusted. If you're with me, Sarah, yeah. So I want you to know, you may think that, hey, this is not happening here, but there are, are different groups, different people that have different beliefs in our area. Right? And we have to be very careful. And our children, sometimes they'll go, hey, would you come, would you come to our church meeting with you? And you let them go, but you don't check the church out, what they believe. It's very important that you do. And so all these different influences, all these different temples were being built. Again, this is just an intro to get you, uh, get you started. And there were all these different gods, these Greek gods, Zeus, Poseidon, all these different gods. And they were building these temples, and the, church, the churches were being swapped by them. One of the things that came into it is a word that you've heard before. And it comes from a Greek word called gnosis. And it's called Gnosticism. Now, everybody look right here at me. Most of the time when you hear that, you think, oh, I don't need to know what that is. But if you're going to read 1 John and know what's going on, you need to understand what Gnosticism is. It was a new form of religion that was coming in. It was a form of thought. It was a superstition. And here's the main thing. If you go, well, what is Gnosticism? The word Greek and the Greek Gnosis means a knowledge or to know. And what was happening, there was this new philosophy, and this was Gnosticism. If you read the Bible, if you want to learn the Bible, you need to remember what Gnosticism is. Gnosticism is this, basically, in a nutshell. All matter is evil. All spirit is good. Now, there was a problem with that that the church was facing. Because if all matter is evil and all spirit is good, there is no way that Jesus would, that God would have sent Jesus that was spirit into a man because spirit, which is uh, good, and evil, which is bad, cannot mix. And when you read 1 John, then you're going to go, this is why it's important. Because what they were basically saying is, uh, here's this new philosophy, and some people were leaving these little churches because they thought, well, it's not possible that Jesus could have come in the flesh because flesh and spirit cannot mix. So what happened is, and you can write this down in your Bible, is there were three philosophies that were being brought in, and then we're going to read it and close, is this. There was a new theology that flesh is evil, and Christ could not become flesh. So they were adding, they were adding to the doctrine. And so it was causing people to go, well, if Jesus, he was, it, he was in the flesh. So that was the first thing. Now, I want you to stop and think about today. Two, the, it, it, what happened, it forced a new, moral, uh, a new morality. In other words, sin um, was minimized. Are you with me? Sin began to be minimized. And they said, well, since the body, because they would teach and say, do whatever you want. Because you're the flesh. They can't mix. So do whatever you want. There's no such thing as sin. Because when you're gone, you're going to become spirit. Right? So let's just go on and have some fun. Right? Live now. Enjoy your life. And they minimize sin. So what that did is the minute they took the incarnate Christ, the incarnate Christ, they, maybe they took him and said, there's no way Christ could have been, in, been had come into flesh. It changed the morality of the people. And then they brought on this new spirituality that said, you can love somebody or you can hate somebody. So John had to write about it and say, no, this is, this is not good. And what I want you to see is that when you have false teaching, everybody look, when you have false teaching, any type of false teaching, 
it's always going to lead to a moral, moral issues. It is. If somebody said, you know, you can, kill it, you can kill anybody you want, that's false teaching. And all of a sudden, if everybody starts doing it, now we have this, uh, we have this uh, moral issue that people, oh, you can steal. That's not stealing. That's yours anyway. And then you have social issues that lead to basically people saying there's no God. Now, if you're with me, say, oh, yeah. And this happens today. It happens today. You know, uh, and we minimize sin. So I want you to know something about John when he writes. If you would have said, wow, I would have led one one of these disciples as my pastor. John would have brought the hammer down on most of us. Because he was black and white. There was no room for gray. You were either a believer and you trusted in him. Watch this. And he even dealt with it as you read it now. And it's going to come to life for you more this week. Is that he even dealt with some of you are even doubting your salvation. You know how many people doubt their salvation? Many of you in the room, every time somebody offers an invitation, you ask God to come into your heart again. He would have said, stop doing that. If you have eternal life, you have eternal life. You're my brother. I'm telling you, he would have been saying, we're going to love the people that are coming in and bringing Buddhism and and bringing Islam, all these different things that are coming in. We're going to love them. We're going to love one another. But there is a difference between us and them. We may look alike. We may may talk. We may work together. But we've got to understand something. We are different. And that's what he's teaching. And see, when people start hearing that, they go, ooh, that means we're closed-minded. No, it means we are have our belief, and they have theirs. And I hope that when you decide to follow Christ, you have this belief. It doesn't mean, I sat down in Florida, what, three years ago, and I sat down uh, uh, with with a gentleman that uh, was very strong in Islam, read the Torah, we talked about it. We had the most wonderful, I read the Torah, I said, read the Koran, and we had the most wonderful conversation. We met for about 30 minutes at a table right outside his little shop. And we just talked and talked, and, and both, of I, both of us agreed. He thought that Jesus was a great teacher, but he wasn't God. And I told him what I believed and said, well, I believe that your God is a false God. And he said, but we can still be kind to one another. And Christ would have been happy with the conversation. But I told him the truth. I believe without Christ, uh, you are separated from God. And he said, and we believe you're an infidel. And that to be a part of us, you need to go through these rituals. And I said, well, God bless you. Uh, and uh, he said something in, in his language, and I hope it was good. It could have been a curse. <laughs> so that's what they were dealing with, all right? So uh, look at your Bible and turn to 1 John, uh, 1 John 2.19. I'm almost done because uh, this is just kind of an intro to get you reading. 1 John 2.19. When you're there, say, I'm there. Now listen, it says. Uh, look at this. Let's go to verse 18. Children, uh, it, it is the last hour, and just as you heard, the Antichrist. Now, an Antichrist, we always think, oh, that's the end time. Right here is just somebody who's against Christ. Okay? He's not talking about uh, the, and the, tr- the Antichrist. He's talking about it's, it's the Antichrist is coming. Even now, here it is, many Antichrists. Many antichrists have appeared from this we know that is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. So what he was saying is, we know, I know the people that were a part of us and then left us. 
He said they were not a part of us. They truly didn't believe in Christ. He said they heard the Antichrist coming. They're really not of us. For if, if, if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. And they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not with us. You see how he separates and say, man, if you're going to leave this doctrine, if you're going to leave this understanding that Christ came to the earth and he died for mankind so that we could have eternal life, you've got to stick with that or you're not with us. And so all these things were being taught uh, that weren't true. So when he wrote uh, 1 John 1, I want you to read now with me, okay? You ready? Look down on it and read it. Here it goes. What was from the beginning, what we, he's talking about the disciples, 12 disciples who were with Jesus, what we've heard, right? And uh, what we have seen with our eyes and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Why would he say that? You may have read over it very quickly and not thought about it. Well, now that you know the background, he was saying that this understanding, this doctrine, this uh, understanding, this knowledge that they're teaching you, uh, for the, the Gnostics are teaching you, is not true. Because we've seen it, we've touched him, we've seen him with our own eyes, we know who he is, and he is the word of life. Now, when you see the word of life in other, in other areas... You see the word of life as the Logos, right? Logos is basically the message, the gospel. But right here, he is very clear. The Logos that he's talking about is not just the message, the gospel. He said, we saw the word. We saw Jesus. And he is life. And that's why he wrote that. So now you understand he was trying to tell them, listen, we seen him. We touched him. And these people are telling you he couldn't have come in the flesh. I want you to know I met him. I saw him. I touched him. I walked with him. You cannot tell me this is true. They take the Bible away from us. They can take our religion away from us. But they cannot steal the spirit of God that lives in us. Right? They cannot steal it away. It is the word of life in us. And that's why he wrote that. So when you see seen, touched, heard. And listen, some of you are nervous sometimes when you start getting conversations about God. And you, you feel like, oh gosh, I'm a, uh, I don't know a whole lot about this. Everybody look at me. I'm going to be John for a minute. You need to know a whole lot about this. You need to study your Bible. You need to be a self-feeder. You need to read your Bible. And when you don't understand it, you need to go search it. And before you search just any website, go hit about because it just may be, uh, it just may be way off. But you need this. And the reason I spent 20 minutes teaching about the history behind it is because now it's going to make more sense. Because what he's saying is you cannot refute what I have seen and what I've sensed. And let's tell you, you cannot refute me and what I've experienced with Christ when I came to know him at age 14. You can try to all you want. I won't get upset. I'll just say, have fun with that because I'm fine because I jumped in. Some of you just kind of on the edge. There's many people that are on the edge. Watch this. There's many people that are on the edge of, 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 of all different religions, right? And there's many people who have jumped in and said, no, this is black and white. Here's the way it is. So why did he write this? Look, he says, we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. Manifested. Christ came in flesh. So the Gnostics were teaching what? Not possible. He said, no, no, no. It happened. He manifested in front of us. Right? 
just like somebody can't steal your salvation away. I want to really encourage you to take a look at that. And then the last thing I want to show you uh, to help you understand some things is that I want you to look at several verses because there are some things in 1 John that he wrote very quickly that we pass over. Ready? 1 John, uh, 1 John 1, uh, chapter 4, right? Look at what it says. It says, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. You say, that's kind of arrogant. They want to be happy. Let me tell you something. You know what this means? That's, it's not arrogance. I would write the same thing. These things, watch this. I would say this to you this morning. These things I tell you so that, so that you'll understand them and it'll make my joy complete. Anytime I get an email or a call or a text about how you're growing or you talk to me about how God taught you something, how something was timely, I'm, I'm, I'm joyful about that. Because it, it lets me know you're listening and you're growing. That brings me great joy. That's what he says. I wrote this so that, that you, uh, I may have joy just in watching you grow. Now, go to chapter 2, verse 1. Ready? Look at what it says there. Children, my little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So now we know another thing. He's writing so that he could have some joy, that they would grow and stick to their faith and stick to their guns, that Jesus Christ did come in the flesh, that he died, he rose again, and we can have eternal life. And then he also said, I also want you to know I'm writing because I don't want you to sin. Why would he write that? Knowing the background now, what happened to their morality? Sin became what? Minimalized. He said, hey, I want to write this to you. So I'm telling you, hey, guys, you can steal all you want. You know, you can get drunk. You can have affairs. You can cheat. But don't do it. It, it, It's just sin. Does that make sense? You can do anything you want to, right? But I'm here to tell you, don't do those things. It'll wreck your life. Don't minimize sin. Even unforgiveness, anger, impatience, fruits of the Spirit. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah, don't minimalize those things. Follow them because Christ has asked you to. All right? And then go to, um, go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. Four times he did it. He said, these things I have written. There he said it again. I want you to know these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. So now we know he wrote to say, I want you to be encouraged. I want to bring joy to me as you grow. I want you to stop sinning and know that, hey, you don't need to walk in that way. Don't minimize sin. And then another thing he says, I want you to be careful of people who try to deceive you. Right? Who's trying to deceive you? A friend who doesn't even know they're deceiving you. And then look at, look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He said it again. He's trying to tell us why, why am I writing this. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? So that you may know that you have eternal life. So he said, I want to write you so that my joy will be complete, that it will bring great joy to me as you grow. I'm writing to let you know that your eternal life is forever. Don't minimize sin. Be careful of people to deceive you. And look, you have eternal life. Everybody look up here. If you confessed Christ, you have eternal life. Right? 
We have something here that we call a cornerstone class, and we ask you to come to the cornerstone class so you'll know what we believe before you become a member of Carpenter's Way. Part of that membership requires that you come to that class. Two, that you have confessed Christ. And three, that you be baptized by immersion. And some of you go, man, I've been baptized when I was young. Okay. But I'm here to teach you the truth that when you were baptized, if you were a baby, you were baptized into whatever church that was. When you accept Christ, then you are baptized into the body of Christ. You are totally immersed. You understand? And for me to tell you anything less is not true. And then I would also tell you, come to church because you love Jesus. Serve him. Remember Psalm 1? Because you love him. Remember Psalm 1? It all runs together. We know what we're doing here. Do all those things, but don't come to church because you just want to make sure you're covered. Because you were covered the minute that Christ died for us and you confessed that. And I'm here to tell you, quit doubting. That's why we give out that little book, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Life. Just stop it. Because he was sitting here, he was sitting here writing and said, I've written so that my joy will be complete. I've written so to tell you not to sin. I've written to tell you be careful of people who deceive you. And I'm writing to tell you, you have eternal life if you confess him. So now when you read First John this week, and we come back, I come back in two weeks and we start breaking it down verse by verse, then it'll help you understand when he uses words and understand that what they were going through and the Gnostics that were causing problems and this philosophy and this morality problem. All right. Now, I like this stuff. I don't know if y'all do. It, 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 it seems nerdy to me, but I love it. And I read, I wrote, uh, read something yesterday that said, you know, not everybody loves what you love. Well, y'all need to start loving this, okay? <laughs> and if you've never tried a little Debbie, you need to start loving those. I'm going to pray for you. I'm uh, about seven minutes over, but I... I hope you'll read, uh, read First John, all of it. Just read it again and again and again. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we know that today around us are people who don't believe like we do and that we are different. Father, help us to love them and to be kind to them, but help us not to uh, mix with our faith with their faith, to know it is different, it is black and white. Father, uh, I pray that people would begin to grow and study your word. And, Father, that they would uh, enjoy it. It would bring great joy to me. I pray that they would just not minimize sin. And, Father, I pray that they would be aware of people who are trying to deceive them. And, God, I pray that they will know that you love them and their salvation is forever. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great, great week, okay? God bless you.